0: and welcome back to another Jupiter's Extras cybersecurity special. It's your ever-friendly Ello Punk here. As it is our tradition, we're joined by a special guest. Special guest, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you?
1: Hi, uh, my name is Danny Akoski. Uh, some people know me as Rando. I'm at The Akoski on Twitter. And uh, I am a cybersecurity person. I guess professional by this point. I've been doing it long enough. Uh, Career blue teamer, career threat hunter. Uh, I've worked for companies like Mandiant and GE Capital and Squirrel and AWS and all kinds of stuff that's supposed to look impressive on a resume.
0: Danny, you wear a ton of hats. Like, I can't even keep up with everything that you do. (laughs) So would you clue us into a little bit of what you do for the community?
1: Oh, that makes two of us because I can't keep track of it either. My favorite thing about this is, yes, I do it for a living and time I make my paycheck and security and blah 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 blah. uh, the reason I keep doing it is because we have such a robust and interesting and exciting uh hacker community security community, so I do like this is the stuff I do when I'm not on the clock being paid for things um I love nothing more than uh than teaching. Uh, bringing people together uh, so I'm I, I created my own local uh, defcon group here in Pennsylvania in Lehigh Valley defcon 610 um, I've created uh, multiple slack rooms um, one started out as just me and three of my idiot friends uh, talking about threat hunting and has since come to be like 300 plus people where some people way smarter that I don't know why they're slumming hanging out in with in my room but um, whatever brings people together, uh, uh podcasting, streaming. I, I have my own stream on Twitch, um, just doing interviews. My favorite thing I ever did was I went to go talk to three classes of middle schoolers about cybersecurity careers. I was there for like four hours and I talked to a bunch of kids about what cybersecurity is like, I love that stuff. So yeah, my whiteboard in front of me, just off to the left of me dictates on all the things that I'm currently not current on, and things that need to move ahead. So yeah, I, I try to keep try to keep busy and it, but it's just fun. Like new things come up all the time, like talking to you.
0: So with all the different hats that you wear and all the different things that you have done, what's been your favorite? Like the one that you think I could do this forever?
1: Oh man. Um, it's kind of something that encapsulates over everything that I do. and it's uh, it's community building. It's getting a whole bunch of people together into one spot to share ideas and to teach each other and just to hang out and learn. So um, that's been what I've done with my DEF CON group uh, here locally in Pennsylvania in Easton, uh, DEF CON 610. Um, I run a, another Slack room that was main. It started out as just three of my idiot friends and talking about threat hunting and stuff. And now it's, you know, 300 plus people. The last time I did it at everyone in Slack, it said, are you sure you want to send this? To three hundred and fifty people in thirteen different time zones. <laughs> like, well, yes, I do. Uh, so that's that's hands down my favorite. I, I love to write and I love to speak. So if I'm going to say something, it's going to be being able to communicate in whatever form that is. Um, so communication is definitely my my favorite part of all of this because I'm an ex radio guy and um, I just love being able to to teach and things like that.
0: So is that how you became involved in Pancakes Con?
1: <laughs> God, Pancakes Con was awesome. I was literally in my kitchen, as most of us are right now, almost exclusively in my kitchen, as my plus 10 pounds will tell you. And I was making lunch, and I was just scrolling. I was making mac and cheese, and I saw the thing come up. And I that was the quickest I've ever written an abstract or come up with an idea ever. Um, and I was like, "It's I don't know, maybe it's the algorithm saying, you might like this. I submitted right there. My mac and cheese wasn't even done. The noodles weren't even done yet. Uh, and, and I came up with, with that. So, yeah, I, I tend to think I have a pretty good network and uh, and I've kind of curated a really good uh, follow list on Twitter. So I see the coolest stuff. And it was very advantageous at that point for PancakesCon.
0: So those people that might not follow us on Twitter or might not be in the same circle, can you tell us a little bit about what PancakesCon was?
1: So PancakesCon was one of the first uh, virtual cons that we're now having. Because of the virus and nobody can go anywhere, and all of the on-site cons are, are, are getting canceled. So uh, Leslie Carhart at Hacks for Pancakes, uh, she is one of the shining beacons of light that we have uh, in the industry, and she decided in the footsteps of things like um, Counter Hat Guys doing um, Kringle Con every year during Christmas, which is virtual now. Black Hills Information Security, John Strand made Way West Hack Fest virtual recently. It was supposed to be in San Diego. So she said, I'm going to do one. She spun it up in literally four days, I think. Wow. So it was a virtual con as opposed to everybody going somewhere. And she spun it up and made two tracks. And, uh, you know, tracks are, are different, uh, different feeds. You can go and see different talks. And yeah, my thing got accepted. And I don't think I wrote the slides until the day before. No, it was literally the night before. It was a Saturday and I did an all Defcon goon uh, Zoom. And while they were all jabbering, I made my slides.
0: Yeah, I think that's something we all do, but we're not supposed to admit it, right? We're supposed to be like, we prepared weeks before this event.
1: Anybody who says that, I know they're lying or there's somebody I'm probably not going to be friends with because they <laughs> won't like how I do things. Um, if I'm not changing a slide or two as I'm at the podium, like it does. It's, I've, uh, it's something that's gone awry. That's true. I'm, I'm, I'm too confident. I'm overconfident and it's going to fail. <laughs>
0: I think I've changed the slide on the fly when I'm up there and I'm talking. I'm like, wait, no, this isn't right. Hold on.
1: Yeah, right. No, no, no. This shouldn't say this. Or there's inevitably going to be a slide that I say that that was like seven versions ago. I have the wrong version of my slides. Oh, well, YOLO, let's 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 do this thing anyway.
0: The concept of your talk was pretty much hunt and tell from the viewpoint of a blue team, Correct. Correct. How did you decide that that's what you wanted to present on? I mean, are you normally kind of blue team mindset or do you just kind of skirt both topics and teach on both ends?
1: Actually, for the entirety of my security career, uh, I've been in one aspect or another uh, blue team uh, on specifically the threat hunting uh, end, which we'll explain, I'm sure, in in just a few minutes. I started at Mandiant uh, at, on their product team for, I think it's called Helix now, but it used to be called their threat analytics platform. And I was part of the team that uh, was was monitoring clients and, and doing some hunting for them. And I just happened to start working for one of the most brilliant uh, blue teamers, uh, defensive minds in the industry, David Bianco. And after that, just kind of steamrolled. I got uh, another job at GE. And uh, from there, I went back to Mandiant. Those are the roles that I kept falling into. And fast forward eight years later, that's, that's all I've done. I've thought about going offensive and i've you know for uh, offensive red team get to break stuff uh and yet i'm good at this i know this stuff i've put in time with this so yeah that's what i've been doing forever and now i'm into more of like the the management end of things uh still technical helping clients like we have your product what can we do with it come children let me show you so yeah that's 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 just what i've done uh maybe someday i'll i'll give up the ghost and do something else but for right now. what works.
0: I've kind of alluded to this question and I think you kind of hinted at as well. So let's break the ice with the question I know that you hate getting and that is what exactly is thread hunting?
1: (laughs) How dare you? I quit. Uh, No, I definitely sell the sizzle on that one uh, a little more than I actually do. Hate Uh, It's I don't hate the question. I hate the answers it brings and I, I hate the the pedantic, uh, the inevitably pedantic people that will come in and be like, well, actually, it's this thing. <laughs> um, so I, I, I boil it down to this. And even this is too simplified. It's finding ways for evil to do evil things on your network. Right. But it encompasses so much more than that. Some people will be like, oh, you're it's only really hunting if you're on the end point. Right. If you're if you're looking at memory dumps and and, and peek at and that, and that kind of thing. If something bad was going to happen in my environment, how would it happen, right? How would they come at me? Where are our weaknesses? And that can then expand to hunting is just getting to know your network, right? Like saying, hey, I didn't know we had this VLAN open for everybody to be on. Or why is that to fill up a workstation talking to the internet? And then figuring out from there, what are the important things that my business needs to run, right? What am I supporting? If this thing got popped, if this thing got stolen, if this thing got compromised, what's the damage, right? What is, what are we trying to protect? Okay, I'm trying to protect X thing. It's a SQL server, whatever. Uh, It's a database. Cool. How are databases being attacked nowadays? Like, then you look at breach report and you just, there's a whole rabbit hole, but if I could boil it down, it's finding ways for evil to do evil things.
0: One of the problems that I have when we all start talking about this is when I ask the question, people are like, oh, you need to look into, you know, miter defenses or you need to look into the pyramid of pain or you need to basically go sit down and read a bunch of white papers that are completely over my head anyways, because I haven't gotten to that point yet. So what would be your recommendation for people who are sitting at home going, I want to learn this, but I don't even know the first step.
1: I touched on this very early in in the Pancakes Con talk for those who don't know uh, for the Pancakes Con you, and we're, I'm sure we'll talk about this too, is you had to divide it. It's 20 minutes for one thing and 20 minutes for another. So getting into 20 minutes of how to threat hunt was very, very challenging because there's so much. But if I could boil it down, it's you need three essential things to just learn, right? This is, I'm speaking to the people like we just that want to learn it. Even if you're well-versed in other areas of security, but you don't know anything about this. You need data. You need somewhere to put it and somehow to uh, look at it, analyze it, so you need those three things, data, somewhere to put it, and some way to look at it. And so how do you do that if your job is like, I don't know, compliance or something or not even related, and you have to do it at home and learn it? Well, you have to build yourself a little bit of a lab. Ten years ago, five, seven, eight, whatever, that was much harder. You had to get bare metal, and and then your, your room was 6,000 degrees because of all the fans running. But today, it's much easier. You can go somewhere like, uh, you know, uh, um, VMware Fusion or whatever. And you can build your own virtual environments, spin up, and you can get uh, ISOs. uh, You can get images of systems from Microsoft for free for testing. Linux is free set up a Linux file server in this environment, set up the networking and set up a Windows domain controller and some workstations. And you can do all of these wonderful, wonderful things in a virtual environment. Cool. I have my environment. Let's generate some data, right? There's all types of frameworks out there that will automatically generate data for you in these environments. They'll make it chatty. So now you have data. Cool. Data flying around. You got yourself a little network. That's cool. Like, hey, this thing is working. And um, now maybe install like a PFSense firewall in there. There's images for that you can put on there. Now you have some infrastructure. And again, maybe even that for the person that is bare bones, knows nothing. What does an environment look like? Google's your friend, man. <laughs> get, get five, 10 workstations, get a couple of servers, Get a get a couple of firewalls going. All things you can find images for, build your lab up, cool data flying around. What am I going to do with it? Start getting those logs forwarded somewhere. Where am I going to forward them to? Got to have some place to put them. If you're a little small environment, Splunk free edition uh, up to 500 gigs. 500, yeah, 500 gigs, I think. It's free. Use that. Cool. Now, how am I going to analyze this?
0: Well, let's take a step back real quick because some people might be really, really new and you're touching base on a lot of the things that we've been trying to focus on and that's mastering the basics. So if you come in and you're like, you know what, I, I'm transitioning from, I don't know, we talked to somebody who was a, a cook before and we talked about to stay at home moms and they're just interested because of all that they've read. You know, you talked about setting up your infrastructure. Well, one of the things you might want to learn about is the hardware and the cloud and take this in smaller bites. Don't try to do everything you just said, but master one basic before you move on to the next one. Is that something you'd agree with?
1: Oh God. Yes. Now for scale, <laughs> to put this in, in perspective, everything I just said might take you months to do. This stuff does take time. Little bites. I swear it's eight years in and I'm still just learning like, oh, this thing does this, or this flows this way, or, oh, no, things like uh, my IDS, it works a certain way. I'm always learning new things. So time investment, yes. You might not even know how to install an image on on a VMware, so there's a learning curve to learn VMware right there. I could break all these steps down, and it would be a 300-page document, and it would take you a while. It takes patience. Not all of it plays well. <laughs> like Sometimes you've got to troubleshoot, so there's more time investment.
0: For those individuals who are thinking, well, you know, they can't see the forest for the trees because there's just so many that they have to conquer. How would you recommend that they, they keep kind of everything in the mindset? Like everything that I am learning is leading me to the goal of being a threat hunter, of being blue team.
1: My first reaction to that question, and it might not be the the, the way that you intended it, but I'm I'm going to say in order to keep track of all these things and keep your eye on the prize and keep it building, you need somewhere to put notes. <laughs> if you're not taking notes, maybe you're better than I am and you have a magic memory. Like, that's cool. I don't have it. If you install nothing else, the first thing you need to install is Microsoft OneNote. OneNote. I'm not talking about servers. I'm not talking about labs. Get something to put your notes. You can use Evernote, whatever. I have an actual relationship with the OneNote team on Twitter. (laughs) I tweet at them all the time. Just little love notes, just saying I love you and thank you and and I've used it forever. If, if I've been in security for eight years, I've, try, I've attempted to get into it for 10. Uh, so those first two years, OneNote. And then once you get into OneNote, name your pages of like, here are my computers and here are my questions. If I can boil this down to one thing, it is asking questions. It is, if I did this thing, then what follows? To your other point of your question, there is no end. There's a great Graphic made by David Bianco when he was at Squirrel of the the threat hunting loop. It is an iterative, closed loop process, and it goes over and over and over again. You ask a question, uh, you gather data, your resources. Um, I don't have the loop right in front of me. I should have it memorized, uh, and then from there you can find those bits of evil, right? And then once you find that evil in your data, um, you make analytics to find it easier next time, so you can do other things. It's the same way with learning. It is an iterative closed loop and there is no end to it. But your ultimate goal is to find the stuff that nobody found before.
0: One of my favorite parts of your talk was actually when you were wrapping up and you were talking about the importance of not just keeping those notes, not just keeping on to your learning, but giving back and helping others with what you've learned. And I know one thing that I've done in approaching getting into InfoSec or really getting into anything is just picking a topic and going, I really want to learn, you know, about DNS attacks. All right, well, I'm just going to write a talk on it and I'll research it as I'm learning it. Have you found that, you know, You get a bit more confidence doing going out and teaching in your own skills? Or have you found that maybe like some people tell me, it's just made me realize how much I don't know.
1: Uh, Both. (laughs) But for the people that are saying, figuring out how much they don't know as a negative, that's completely the wrong way to look at it. I love figuring out how much I don't know. Spoiler alert. You'll never know how much you don't know until you've learned it. Uh, Wrap your head around that one. This is a, this is a cool story that I I always liken it to. I I studied Kung Fu for years, five or six years. And we had a, a weekend camp one time. We got a camp out here in Pennsylvania, out out in Hershey and my teacher uh, and, and all the students, we camped out for two or three days. Now I'd been studying for quite a few years at this point. And the very first thing we did all day out in the sun, in our uniforms, was practicing one of the first things you ever learn is a straight punch. That's it, just a straight punch. That's, I mean, seems like the most rudimentary thing. And yet there are all these little intricacies of form and and firmness and speed and, and rotation of your head It's mind-numbing, the things my teacher knew. And we practiced it out in the sun for the whole day, 12 hours straight in the summer. And I still don't know everything about a straight punch. And and I I'm I'm not sure if it's like just passed down through myth or whatever, but uh one of the one of the pioneers of 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 kung fu when he was when, as on his deathbed he was like 95 years old, and he's he's sitting there and he and he says I finally I finally figured out a straight punch and then he died because <laughs> you know he was sick, but he was a master he was a master of whatever of whatever family skill that he was doing and it was the same thing. When you teach, you learn more about the things you thought you were perfect at because you can always get better because the technology changes from the time that you first learned it and thought you were a master at it two years later. Hey, guess what? This thing is new and you didn't know this. So yes, teaching, writing, blogging, failing. People like success stories. Everybody loves some fail stories. And I don't think we have enough of those.
0: I know that we started out this conversation kind of focusing on, you know, your blue team talk, but everything that we've talked about just seems to me that it can be applied across any part of tech or just anything that you're trying to learn.
1: Yes, 100%.
0: I understand that it depends on people's learning style, but the biggest problem for me is hands-on versus book training. I know a lot of people who spend a lot of time delving into books and delving into white papers they sound amazing. But when it gets to the actual practical end of it, especially when we're interviewing, they seem completely clueless. And so how do you balance that? How do you recommend that people tackle it when they need to be able to talk about it in the interview, but they actually have to be able to do the job?
1: It is easy to regurgitate written information. Uh, I say easy, but people can ask me about the OSI model and I'll still screw it up right now. (laughs) Again, that comes back to that practical application of building your own labs. I didn't mention it before, but I'm going to mention it now. Everything that I talked about and I when, we, and I, when I dumped all that stuff on infrastructure and all that kind of blah, 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 get a book. It's by one of my really good friends' name is um, Tony Robinson, DA667 on Twitter. He made a book called Building Virtual Labs because that marries those two concepts of reading what somebody else has written taking those kinds of things like white papers and things, but then applying it practically, right? He says, I'm going to teach you all this stuff. You can read all this stuff, but now go and do this on your own. Because I swear to God, when you get into this and say, say somebody who's listening to this gets to be a consultant, right? And you're going to see a hundred different companies and a hundred different setups. And guess what? Everything you thought you were good at is going to go right out the window because they've got something configured a complete wrong way. Another story about that of, of, oh my God, now I don't know what I'm doing is I once had to build uh, this thing. It's called a parser. And what a parser does is it takes these raw logs. Raw logs just look like gobbledygook, right? It's a bunch of letters and and numbers and fields and all this kind of things. Think about just a wall of text. So the parser goes, I'm going to take all this and I'm going to make it in a readable format for you. But I have to know, Where one field ends and one begins, and you have to write me like that so I can get all the stuff out. And you write this parser, right? You write this thing and it's great. And then you go to another client to get their logs in, and they have one thing changed, and that parser is completely broken because it was looking for a period and it had two spaces. Oh my God, it's the worst thing in the world. Then you got to write that parser again. So you have to marry the two. You have to marry reading and researching with doing. And like you said, people learn it different ways. Some people are strictly hands on and and and. but even the hands on people have to read and some people like to just read. But you got to do you got to get your hands dirty and there's ways to do it like there, there's no other way around it. You have to get your hands on the keyboard.
0: So many people talking about cybersecurity now, it seems that it's I don't want to say infiltrated, but that's the best word that I have every part of the tech industry. And it, it really should. What would be your piece of advice for someone who's going, I want to get into cybersecurity, but then they look and there's 8,000 different fields, there's so many technologies, and it kind of gives you kind of deer in the headlights. Like, I don't know where to go after this decision.
1: There is no easy answer for that. A lot of well, a lot of people who I've, I hate the word mentor because it sounds very hoity-toity, <laughs> but people that I've advised and counseled on this kind of thing, the the positions that are the best for that are just getting to be like, In a SOC, which is a security operations center, as an analyst, Uh, a lot of people start right there at that level one, you know, eyes on glass. You have a bunch of tools in front of you and click close for the ticket and that kind of thing. And yes, it's not glamorous and it's not awesome, but you're going to get to learn a whole lot about a lot of different things. You most likely will not get your first choice. Like you might go into this thinking, I want to break stuff and be a red teamer, but you've never done a CTF you know but you've never popped a shell uh, on on a box of your own and then maybe once you do it you think it sounds sexy and you do it and like that was a giant pain in the butt i don't want to do this it <laughs> sucks i'd rather stop people doing this you get that realization by doing some of the best gigs to go after are those sock roles like tier 1 consultant type roles where they're going to have you in a lot of different a lot of different fields cuz consultancies offer a lot of different services. They offer compliance. They offer SOC and Blue Team and Red Team and all these things. And maybe you get placed in something, but that's your in. And you know, maybe you figure out, I hate this. I hate doing this and now I have to do it. But now I know what I hate. And knowing what you hate is still knowing, it's still learning. So yeah, it's really hard to get into your choice of thing when you're new. Uh, Sometimes you gotta kind of take what you can get Uh, and learn along from there.
0: One important thing I'd like to note with that is just because you took what you can get doesn't mean you have to stay there. I think a lot of people start thinking, well, you know, they gave me my first opportunity. I owe it to this company too. And they get stuck even though they want to progress further.
1: I have very strong feelings on this. (laughs) (laughs) One of the best pieces of advice I ever got came secondhand. One of my best friends, his name is Chris Sandalow, and he got it from another one of his good friends, which is also a giant in the industry. His name is Chris Rolfe. Uh, said, You are your own brand. You are your own brand, was the verbatim. Now I'm pontificating. Your situation is only beneficial as long as both parties are benefiting from it. You owe a company, you owe a logo nothing. Now, if you're on a good team, Uh, great management, great leadership, uh, great, great team members, Uh, even still at a certain point when that relationship no longer becomes beneficial, it's just business. It's not personal. You owe them nothing. They paid you. You gave them a service transaction complete. That's fine. And then go and do your next thing. Now, if you're constantly, jumping jobs every two months and you have 75 of them on your resume okay we should probably talk but you know some places maybe two years is your is your jump point and that happens that happens all the time i happen to have picked gigs that like to lay people off yeah such is life and that's fine i can explain it but yeah you are your own brand your current job is your current long-term client and that relationship is beneficial until it's not and don't feel don't feel bad about it. you got what you needed now you have to move on. So I I really, really caution against drinking Kool-Aid. And you know why? Because I drank a lot. <laughs> I drank it twice at one place. I got laid off and I came back and I drank it again and I got laid off a second time. So learn by doing, you know,
0: it's like you said earlier. It's also, you know, sharing your failures, because I think you saying that can help so many people. You know, a lot of stuff is going on right now, and uh, a company here uh, in, I'll just say San Antonio, we're not going to mention companies, but every, every February, like clockwork, there's layoffs. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people start taking that personally. Like, I wasn't good enough. I didn't you know, do well in my job. And you know, I've been in this industry five years, and I've had six jobs. And I still have close relationships with almost everyone at those companies. It doesn't have to be the end of the world to... Get set on your new adventure. Let's go with that.
1: <laughs> it doesn't. Not to shamelessly shill my own stuff, because uh, let's face it, I'm going to shamelessly shill. Um, I did a talk at, I believe this was at uh, Ghercon. Well, I did one version of a Ghercon a couple years ago, and then I did a more expanded version at one of my favorite conferences, uh, Circle City Con, which incidentally is also virtual this year. Because I have a particularly bumpy road in my career. <laughs> uh, you've had six jobs in five years. Um, I don't know. I've probably had 12 and eight. You're right. It is not the end of the world. It is how business is done. Sometimes it's somebody with a red pen you never met, never had no problem with. They don't have a problem with you. But guess what? First, you know, last in, first out. You make too much money, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's hard not to take it personally. I mean, sometimes you screwed up and then you get fired and then that is your fault. And then you have to go reflect. But layoffs, riffs, you know, reduction in force. People will hear riff term, hopefully not a lot. And it's not your fault. And you move on and you learn. And man, those wounds will heal. And then you'll be like me up on a stage laughing about it, Uh, laughing slash crying, Uh, remembering those old wounds. Um, But no, you absolutely move on. So there was one time, only one, when I actually did get legitimately fired from a job. There were about to be lawyers involved and all kinds of, it turns out it was like a very, very shady thing. And then they ended up paying me and I went away. But I was fired for just something very, very uh, trumped up and, and whatever. I I rem- never gotten fired. I didn't see it coming. I hadn't done anything. I hadn't had any performance reviews. It just, it came out of nowhere. And that's big city finance for you. Oh, it crushed me because my wife was eight months pregnant at the time and we had just moved for this job. I thought my career was over. I was standing on a train platform uh, waiting for a train because I had taken the train the wrong way a half hour and then had to wait another 45 minutes for this train. It was every cliche firing you've ever seen in any movie ever cardboard box in hand in a suit on a train platform, like literally crying. And this is why mentorship is so important and networking is so important. At least I had somebody to call then. This was really before I knew I hadn't done anything in the industry yet. I was new. Hence why I think they thought they could do what they did. And I called her and I said, I'm dead. Like I'm, I'm literally dead. I'm, I'm currently worth more to my family dead than alive to my unborn son. I could jump in front of this train right now. That's how dark it got. And she was like, take a breath. You drama queen. (laughs) Her name is Jen Ayers. She works at CrowdStrike now. I don't think she likes when I tell these stories about her because she's very private, but she's awesome. She was like, it is not the end. This will be forgotten. You're going to learn from this. And you're not a pariah. Just because you have a few jobs in your resume, Like, does it make you un- untrainable? Does it make you unworthy? Take a breath and and figure it out. And now I'm here. I have a great house. I have a four-year-old son. I have everything worked out. I had to work my butt off for it. But it wasn't the end of the road. Those things feel like the end of the road because we're human and we're emotional. It's chemical. Don't get caught up in it. It's it's not the end. Uh, you'll figure it out.
0: It's always hard for me when people share stories like that, because I know that I should have a little bit of empathy and be like, oh, I can understand that. But honestly, to me, it's a little bit uplifting. And I'm just like, OK, Like when the times get dark, I'm like somebody else has paved this road for me and it's going to be OK.
1: It took me a good three years to be okay with telling that story because it was still a firing. But that comes back to, again, a very, very base advice I give to everybody. This industry is about your networking. You mentioned it just a little bit ago about how you still have good relationships with jobs that you've left or got laid off from or whatever. Because the companies come and go. But those people and those relationships, the good ones... Oh, you better keep those and you have to nurture them because those are your support system, right? Uh the, the, the metaphor I gave one time, it's it's very much people like to say your back up is up against the wall. And they say it in a negative connotation, right? Like, oh, my back's against the wall and blah, blah, blah. Do you realize like when your back is against a wall, you're fully supported? Like you're upright. You're not down. So if you don't build your network, that wall is more like one of those garden walls that are like knee knee length or like knee height or whatever. And when you get shoved, you're going to go straight over because you have nothing behind you. But if your network is that wall and you built it high enough, when you're backed into it, it's nothing but support. Like you might not have anywhere to go at that moment, but you're not going to fall down. So build your network. So it's as big of a wall as you can find. So when you're up against it, it's more support than it's a hindrance.
0: I think as we're kind of coming to the end of this episode, it itself has become the perfect example of you not knowing where the road is going to lead you because we came in here, we're going to talk blue team and just ended up having an amazing conversation about getting into the industry and kind of hacking your way into the industry. So thank you for taking this adventure with me and going down the road as it happened to lead us. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do so?
1: Oh, well, first, let me say this was so much fun. Uh, <laughs> this is one of the most fun ones. I've. This might be the most fun one I've ever done. I could talk to you for hours. Uh, but yes, if I'm going to show for my own, um, the easiest way, and my my DM, my direct messages are always open on Twitter. It's uh, at, as my friends like to say, "Dakaki." another quick, funny story, never argue on the internet. It's a really dumb idea. But I did. And somebody came back and shot back and like, oh, it's pretty big talk for somebody that hides behind a handle. And I was like, bro, if you Googled my handle, it's literally my name. <laughs> It is D for Danny <laughs> kotsky, which it, it's, people say a khaki. So anyway, literally my name, Google me. I'm always, I'm on Twitter an unhealthy amount because it is hands down what has saved me a couple of times in these situations that we talked about. So at D-A-K-A-C-K-I, um, you can also catch me. I have a blog site. It's rando.net, R-A-N-D-O-H.net. And I do a, I do a podcast stream on Twitch. Uh, it's mainly like a I just interview people about things about DefCon about events uh, uh, about uh, about all the stuff going on right now. It is Twitch uh, twitch.tv slash Second Order Chaos. Those are the big big places to find me. Twitter mostly.
0: And as always, thank you everyone for listening. If you would like more information and links to everything that we talked about, make sure to visit extras.show.